Hello and welcome to Amplify Archaeology. third episode of our five-part mini-series on Newgrange in the winter solstice, I had the opportunity to chat to Claire Toffey at the Office of Public Works. Claire has worked at Newgrange for over 30 years and that's given her incredible insights into the site. We discuss how Newgrange has changed over her time there, the experience of managing a World Heritage Site and what it's like to be in the chamber when the light appears. This episode was recorded over Zoom, so please do forgive us if the audio quality is a little off. Join us as we search for light at the end of the tunnel at Newbridge. I'm here now with Claire Tuffy from the Office of Public Works. And Claire, can you tell us a little bit about your experience with Newgrange? How long have you been there? And you know, what is it like to manage this World Heritage Site, a real jewel in the crown of Irish heritage, I suppose? And, and you know, there's, there's not many monuments like it in the world. No, um, I've worked at Newgrange now for well over 30 years. Uh, the job I have now is very different. To the job I started with. Um, when I started in the 80s, in the early 80s, uh, I was the only permanent member of staff at Newgrange. I was uh, appointed as caretaker guide and my job was to bring the visitors in and out of the monument and tell them about it. I worked six days a week and if you had told that young woman in the early 80s that by the time your career is over you'll have a multi-million euro visitor center and be involved in the management of a world heritage site i don't think she would have believed you but it's great to have had the experience of going from the monument and just a very few visitors to where we are now and i feel um it's been a great a privilege for me to be involved all the way along and I'd never lost my affection or, how, or my regard for the monument and I still find it as impressive today as I did all those years ago maybe even more so the more I learn the more impressed I am. And that leads us on I suppose to you know how over that period of time how's your understanding or appreciation of the site changed over those years? How how do you look at Newgrange differently today, knowing that what's It's very hard to go back in time and see the monument as I saw it then. Mm -hmm. I know the fact that I was far more concerned with um, statistics when I began, but I think that's a, something that every new guide does, yeah. is think they have to learn an awful lot about the facts and the figures and the height and the width and the weight. And as you get more experience, it's the connection to the monument for me and for the visitors that I'm showing around is more important than uh, the facts and the figures. It's to get across the essence of the monument, the feeling, the experience, the connection. And that's something I've noticed this past year with so few visitors and being closed for so long because of the pandemic. 
without the visitors, the monuments are very passive. It's they just it's as if they're just they're still impressive, mm -hmm. but it's the people coming to them that make them come alive and uh, seem more important. They're diminished without visitors. In the last couple of years in particular, Claire, I suppose there's been a whole raft of new insights gained through different types of archaeological methods, you know, be it the aerial drone discoveries that was made by Anthony Murphy, Ken Williams, to new surveys by National Monument Service and UCD, and of course, the ancient DNA studies. It seems like our understanding of new grains has kind of really changed just these last two, three years. How has that affected the way that you tell a story about the site? And has it changed the way that you look at it, you know, even over the last couple of years? Oh, for sure. I mean, we sometimes say here, those, those of us who work here, mm. it's really Newgrange is a monument. It's the monument that just keeps on giving. Yeah, yeah. Just when you think, you know, maybe, maybe we're getting to the end. You're just, this whole new load of information comes in and almost overwhelms you. Yes. So um, it's, it's a far more complicated message that we have to give now than mm -hmm. we did say 30 years ago um just for instance all my career i have been saying to the visitors you know when i'm trying to get across uh you know how the continuity of use in the boyne valley and how people have been farming in the boyne valley for over six thousand years and we're still farmers i used to always say these are our direct ancestors and then lara's study came out as a these are not my direct ancestors these are nothing like me these are not my direct ancestors so th that's a real sea change for me personally mm. because i had an idea in my head you know that if i got into the time machine and i went back you know that i'd recognize them and i you know we could talk about farming and we could talk about our children and we could talk about the weather and There'd be a few things that I wouldn't be comfortable with, but I thought generally I'd slip in there and yeah. make <laughs> and just be kind of an anonymous, you know, uh, visitor to the village. But I'm beginning to think now, I, there's no way I would have fitted in there. An ordinary person like me wasn't going anywhere near Newgrange. You yeah. know, um, it's a it's a world apart. It's it's breathtaking the amount of new information we found. The scale of the monuments is tremendous, and I would dearly, dearly love to um, get time travel and just go back and see it in its heyday, with all the monuments below and the plain and the people. You know, when you see the, um, the monuments now. You know, whether it's with film or with the drones, they're always empty. But I would dearly love to go back and see it on a busy day in yeah. the late Neolithic. I'd say it would take my breath away. Well, that's it. I mean, it's, it, 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 you know, I think, especially with a site like Newgrange, it's like you said earlier, you can get very focused on the architecture because it is so impressive and different and staggering. But the people are the thing that are the most different aspect about it. You know, the, the people who built it, the people. And because it had such a very long life as a monument as well, um, 
you know, those people's priorities, ideas, beliefs, and everything undoubtedly changed throughout its their, their ambition. Their ambition, yeah. To be able to sit in a, in a, a fairly flimsy structure mm. and dream mop up monuments on the scale to which they envisaged monuments. Mm. I can't conceive of it, that they had such ambition yeah. and such, um, you know, resources, the resources, yeah. The um, the brains, yeah. the, um, the you know the operational skills, and I look at us now and I say, gosh, you know it takes us all our time to keep this show on the road. You know, getting yeah. visitors from A to B to C to get them fed, to get them on the right bus at the right time. <laughs> We're only in a in a very small scale in comparison to what they did five thousand years ago. Yeah, it, it it really is astonishing, and on on that I suppose. You know, in a sense, you're guardians of the monument today, in a very real sense, in terms of its protection and in terms of who's allowed to access it and, and, and everything like that. And what is that visitor's experience like today? I mean, how many visitors, like 2020, of course, has been a year like absolutely no other. It, it's, no, it's hopefully we'll never see it again. Hopefully, God, God, yeah, absolutely. Um, but on a kind of, on a, I wouldn't say normal year is any year normal, but on an average year like 2018, 2019, how many people are looking to visit Newgrange and what kind of experience do they get? Um, well, I think in uh, 2018 was the last kind of normal year we had because last year, 2019, uh, the visitor centre was closed because of the refurbishment. Of course, yeah. Yeah, yeah so uh, 2018, we almost had 300,000 visitors come in through our front door here at the Brunavonia Visitor Centre. Mm. Some of those went to Newgrange, some of them went to Nauth, some of them went to Newgrange and Nauth, some mm. stayed in the visitor centre only. Mm. Uh, our guides are great. You know, they, they introduce the monuments to visitors, like all access to Newgrange and Nauth is by guided tour. Mm -hmm. And I think the guides, you know, they tell the story of the monuments with great pride, with great um, uh, empathy for the monuments and for the visitors. They're able to adjust the tour to suit the visitors. So uh, visitors seem to have come away with a, a very strong sense that they were at somewhere special yeah. but it is only when we contact people you know when we have the lottery for the winter solstice yeah and the day after the lottery myself and the aunt are here contacting mm. the lucky winners and it is only when you do something like that when you when you email somebody on the other side of the world and tell them that they've won a place to be at Newgrange for dawn at the winter solstice. And it's their response, yeah. you say. We sometimes, the two of us here, look at one another and we just say, we have no idea really yeah. the impact the monument has on our visitors. Yeah. And um, people will agree to come halfway across the world like that, yeah. just for the chance to be there without ever thinking of the expense of how getting holidays of their families that they would it just just seems to me like an act of faith yeah. and then uh, you know that you would just put all your dreams in in this one journey to the monument and then i think the, the people who built the monuments five thousand years ago 
they would look at these travellers coming from all over the world and they'd just be delighted with themselves <laughs> and probably think that, you know, they deserved it. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, they'll probably recognise a fellow pilgrim, so to speak, if that's the right word for it, you know, that's magical. And, you know, I suppose I've I've never won the lottery. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm very happy. What is that experience like, seeing the solstice? Oh, it's, it's, um, it's very hard to put into words. It's very moving. Mm-hmm. Um, even this morning now, I went to Newgrange for dawn because we had a film crew. And when we met on the road, myself and the film, the cameraman, we were both excited because it's a beautiful morning here in the Boyne Valley. But we both agreed that there's something very special to driving in the darkness towards the dawn. Mm. You know, this idea of anticipation. And then to be at a special place for dawn. Now, I have been very privileged in that very often I'm the person who brings the group into the chamber. And it never ceases to amaze me how emotional people get. Um, on, a, on, a, on a day that's promising, you know, where the sky is clear and it's looking good, people are very excited. And... Um, you know, there's an awful lot of chatter in the in the in the chamber and anticipation, and they, um, they they they're so busy talking that they forget to to just draw a breath. So you kind of have to calm everybody down mm-hmm. and say, "We're never you're never going to get this experience again. This is a privilege given to very few. You know, absorb it and enjoy it and take note of it." because we don't allow cameras while the sun is in the chamber. So we all have to be in a position to be able to describe what happened. You know, it's the first thing that people ask when you come out of the chamber, what was it like? And even as it's happening, you're trying to think, what is it like? So there is nothing like the the feeling of that first sliver of light falling on the floor. You know, the sun rises at 8.54 8.54 on December 21st, but it's 8.58 before that first beam of light hits the chamber. And that four minutes waiting for the light seems endless. You know, you lose sense of, of the time passing and you begin to doubt that it's actually going to happen because you can hear the people outside and you know they're enjoying themselves and we're inside and we're kind of still waiting for And then when the light comes in, it's so much brighter than you think it's going to be. Mm -hmm. It moves across the floor so much more dramatically than you had imagined. But I think the thing that strikes everybody is how bright the chamber becomes and the people that you've waited with in the darkness for, I don't know, 20 minutes or so, they're all, you can see everybody and everybody's lit from underneath. So it's like as if they're all gathered around a fire and once the initial excitement passes of the the light is in, the light is here, the light is here, there's always that reflection then because you cannot come to Newgrange and wait for dawn without thinking about the people and all the dawns before you. Mm. You know, all those thousands of years ago, the people waiting there, but also your own family, you know, how the cycle of life goes on and how we're 
you know, all these winter solstices that have been and gone and experienced. So it's a time for reflection. It's a time to think particularly about, I suppose, the ancestors, our own ancestors and the people who built the monument. And it's also a time to celebrate, you know, like, I mean, we're always telling the stories about the marriage proposals in the dark and uh, the people who ask, can they sing? And people who want to leave precious objects in the light for, as if it was going to, you know, like a blessing. The people who want to get down on their hands and knees to see if the light feels warm. With the idea that a bit of sunlight in a chamber at dawn in December would feel warm, but that's how bright it is. Mm. And then there's a, um, a, a bonding experience with the group. You know, people are so kind to one another that they have shared this experience with this elite group that they all part ways with, you know, after sunrise. Um, so it's a very moving experience. But after all these years, and I know I've said this on other occasions, and it sounds a bit selfish, but it's the dark mornings I prefer now, you know, when it, when it doesn't happen. Um, because I always think if I said to a group of 20 people, random strangers, come with me. And I'm going to ask you to spend uh, an hour in a dark room with me and with 20 strangers. And they'd all think I was gone daft. You know, like, I mean, you would. You'd say, what cheap, what for? Yeah. But anyway, um, so that's what we do. We invite 20, well, we have 10, 10 lottery winners plus a guest. So each person who wins a place at the lottery gets to bring a guest. Because I thought when we were organizing the lottery, that I'd like to have somebody to hold hands with in the darkness yeah, and to share it with so that I could analyze it afterwards and go back over it. Remember the day we were at Newgrange. So we have, I suppose, 10 pairs yeah. and you're inviting them to stand in the darkness with you. They don't know they're going to be in for an hour, but they're, they're, they just go in and we stand and we all know on those dark, dull mornings, everybody knows it's not going to happen, you know, mm. and, they're, and they're disappointed but they're still here. And there's kind of that sense of keeping vigil. Yes. And there's no, none of that excitement that I have to calm on the sunny mornings. None of that, you know, it's all, we're calm from the beginning. Yeah. And we get very deep, very quickly. You know, uh, yeah. there's something about standing in the darkness that gives you a, almost a license to uh, talk intimate. It's an intimacy to it. Mm -hmm. um, so somebody might say, I might start the talk by talking about the monument, describing the monument or talking about how Professor Kelly was there on his own the first morning that the light shone in or uh, some chat like that, something just to start the chat and very quickly we're a group, we're bonded in the darkness and people are swapping stories and telling different things and what it meant to them and how they got here and what their visit was like. And after an hour perhaps has passed and I say, we'll go out now because you know the time of sunrise will have passed and there's no chance of seeing the light. There's a hesitancy to go back out because we have developed this little group yeah. And then when we turn on the lights, I make them all cover their eyes 
because the lights, the electric lights looks, it's like that alarm clock feeling, you know, when the alarm goes off and the light goes on and your eyes are all, so I make them all close their eyes until we get used to the light. And what always amazes me is that they're surprised that the room we're standing in is so small because it seemed to grow mm. as we stood there in the darkness. And then when the light goes on, they're kind of looking around as if to say, oh, is this where we are? You know, it's like a, if they're transported, yeah. but it's no ordinary dark room. It's the chamber of Newgrange. So of course it's going to be an extraordinary experience, but I love those mornings. I'm going to keep playing the lottery, I think. <laughs> determined to do it on you. It sounds magical, Claire. Thank you for that. And do you know, it, you know, again, this year has been so strange and I was really hoping to come up and to see the fabulous new exhibition. The, uh, the images I've seen of it look incredible. I know Ken Williams, who, who's... Oh, it would have been nothing without Ken. He's a master photographer. It is extraordinary. He, he draws stories with his pictures, they really are, and, and I'm very excited to see it. Could you describe a little bit about what the exhibition's like and what somebody can see when they, they come to visit Brunabonia in, in hopefully in 2021? When we yeah, all... hopefully. Well, I mean, it's open at the moment. The exhibition is open at the moment. We can open it at level three. Um, okay, let me describe the exhibition. It's very different to what we had, mm -hmm. and it's only now... We loved our old exhibition, but it's only now that I see photographs of it, I think it kind of looks old fashioned towards what we have now. I suppose to just, it sounds a bit like a cliche to describe it as, a, as an experience, mm -hmm. but there are some wonderful moments within the exhibition. You start off by, you know, finding out what a World Heritage Site is and by com compar comparing the monuments of Brunabonia with iconic monuments from around the world, just to see where we're sit, you know? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And then you go into a, a very small section, really, that um, the discovery of the monuments and the archeology span of the monuments, you know, like archeology span through the ages, really concentrating mm -hmm. on the excavations of Professor O'Kelly and Professor Ogan at Newgrange and Nouth, respectively. And then you, you are walking along the Boyne, you're walking on the Boyne, Wow. So there's lights on the floor yeah. and it feels like you're walking through a forest and there's animals either side of you so you can see deer and you can hear you can um you see dogs and you can hear bird song and you can hear um all these different animals it's kind of like a soundscape from the neolithic then you kind of round a bend and you see um a video of the later Neolithic monuments is all mm. those tenges and yes and there's a place this is my favorite place where you sit on a bench and there's a big screen and it describes what a passage tomb is you mm -hmm. know but focusing on our three big ones but it's while you're sitting there that you really absorb the soundscape you know because as you're walking along the river you're kind of looking yes. at the animals and you're looking at the big screens. But when you're sitting, then all you, you can hear the wolves and you can hear, it's just really great. Then you leave there, that's kind of the river. Then you leave there and you go through um, their day-to-day -day life. Mm -hmm. And in the past we had like tiny little people, you know, the diorama, 
but now we have huge screens with people dressed up as Stone Age people. So you can see people, you know, going about their daily lives. And it's it's really good because it includes women and children and older people. And yeah. so they look like families. Yes. And then we have a, a, a piece there about the winter solstice. And then you go on to a nice corridor which shows you where they brought the stones from these huge pictures of the landscape where they chose the stones from and then you're into the nitty-gritty you're into the death cremation the monuments how they were built and then you go along a narrow passage as if you were going into the holy of holies and then at the very end we have this uh how will I describe it? It's a kind of it's supposed to be based on ceremony ceremonies. Okay. And it's in it's kind of an artistic impression of what ceremonies might have happened in the chamber five thousand years ago. So there's a lot of humming and drumming and breathing and um it's interesting. I don't know how our visitors will react uh, when they see it. I'd be excited to see it. How can people, obviously this year, you know, the lottery and, and, and that wonderful experience of people being able to go in to the tomb to experience that and, and the gathering around the the tomb that happens each year. It can't happen this year. It's another no, casual, no. sad casualty of COVID. So how can people experience it this year? Well, we're, we're webcasting it on the 20th, 21st and 22nd from... 845 to uh 9 30. Oh great. And, we're hoping for yeah. Yeah. and we have a plan B if it doesn't um oh. the sun doesn't shine, you know. Um so that it'll be webcast. It'll be it'll be on the OPW YouTube channel and it'll be on all the usual OPW social media platforms. It'll be on the Fulcher Ireland platforms. Uh, so it'll be widely available. Great. And uh information on where to find it will be on heritageireland.ie but can i also mention because this year has been we've been talking about all that we cannot do mm -hmm. this year we've been provided with an opportunity to do something that we've always wanted to do because the chamber is empty we are using the opportunity to do some research into the light because we've never really had an opportunity to just see how the light interacts with the monument. So for the first time ever in my experience, we've closed the door to Newgrange. The doorway is blocked up. So the light that's getting in at the solstice this year is only the light from the roof box, the light that was planned to be in. And uh, so we're only seeing roof box light. We are uh, seeing how the roof box light, box light works, you know, the roof box is the opening through which the sunlight shines. And also one of the things I, I noticed in recent years when we were get, trying to get footage for the exhibition was that how the sunbeam moves in the chamber over the days coming up to solstice and after solstice. I was never aware until a couple of years ago, despite all my solstice experience, just how that light moves as you get closer and closer to the solstice. So we're recording that and hopefully we'll be able to analyze the information after this period has passed and be able to throw new light on the 
winter solstice. No pun intended. Sorry. <laughs> That's really exciting, isn't it? And, and you know, it, that, as you say, it, it's about trying to take these opportunities when they present themselves. It'd be a very difficult year to, to close down to be able to do that. So it's fantastic to hear that that's going ahead. Claire, I want to thank you so much. That was, thank you for your time and for the insights. I think was you really conjured up a picture there, you know, and uh, I, I'm looking forward to watching it. Although it's only online, I think it's still going to be a magical shared experience really from not only people yeah. across Spain, but around the world. Yeah, and if ever there was a year we needed light at the end of the tunnel, it's twenty. Yeah, absolutely. Hopefully. <laughs> absolutely. Listen, thank you so much, Claire. I really enjoyed talking. Thank to you. That's all for this episode. I'd just like to thank Claire for her time and her fantastic insights. You can find more information and show notes on the episode page on our website at barterheritage.ie. This is the third part of a mini-series on Newgrange and the winter solstice. Please check out the previous episodes and stay tuned for the next couple of episodes as well. It will all be released by the 22nd of December. If you have the time, please consider rating, reviewing and subscribing to our podcast. It really helps us to be found by other people interested in Irish archaeology. I'd appreciate that.